0: This is Thomas DePaulo.
1: This is Max.
0: This is Kevin Hamm.
1: Hey, this is Jake Cook.
2: Hi, this is William Roy. You're listening to The Green Box.
3: Today on The Green Box, what's happening?
2: Well... Uh, I know a lot of us, uh, including probably our listeners, have had some time at home of late. Uh, And if you're listening, if you're a listener of this show, you probably use some of that time at home to play some some RPGs remotely with your friends or other people that you might know. So uh, do any of you guys have any 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 cool anecdotes or things you'd like to share regarding your recent quarantine gaming experiences? We are
3: dating this episode, by the way. That's Uh, fine. If if in the future humanity has not survived, then this will be one of
2: yeah. Will be one of we'll we'll be the audio recording that plays in the future alien museum for what the average uh, we'll North be, American we'll, sounded like in, in the, the early twenty first century.
3: We'll be the one no, that the player no. like picks up is, in the bathroom.
1: That's Ken There's Jennings and, and uh, John Roderick's podcast yeah. that they do for the the what's it called when when future links find it or whatever. Yeah. It's called Onibus.
2: Uh, who's got uh, a story to tell about an uh, an experience that they've had play, playing games recently?
3: I ran a couple of games. Some of them were even Delta Green.
1: Wow, exciting!
3: Um, I ran a game called Esoteric Enterprises as well, which uh is a deeply flawed game, but it's still fun. And I played in that one. Yeah, uh, the last is two, that, is that the think. one
2: about unreleased uh, Star Trek spinoffs?
3: Uh. Yes, exactly. You hit the nail on the head. I don't know what you're referencing, but it's probably true.
2: I was referencing the Starship Enterprise and unreleased spin-offs would would be somewhat esoteric, thus esoteric enterprises.
3: Yeah, so this 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 is the this the untold stories of Cabin Pike from Yeah. You know, anyway wheeling the- around
2: the universe. Have you talked about Esoteric Enterprises?
3: I've talked about it in an after show that may not see the light of day. Or it wasn't an after show. It was a a full-on segment. I was here with Tom, and I think this was before Tom had played it. But I'm actually interested to talk about it now that you've actually had a chance to play it, Tom.
4: Yeah, I was going to say, if you're not going to talk about
3: Esoteric Enterprises, that'll be my story. Okay, we can can do that then. So uh, Esoteric Enterprises is not Delta Green. It's a different game. It is a D20 fantasy dungeon crawler. Not based on the D20 system as we currently understand it, but based on BX, which is an old-timey basic expert edition of ancient D&D. It is a game set in a world similar to Unknown Armies or games like that. You are a homeless vagrant who decides to crawl dungeons for a living and engage in criminal activity in order to make money. And you discover a hideous underworld filled with horrifying creatures and fabulous treasures and just a lot of very weird, unpleasant, but still lovable characters. This game I've been running for four sessions. I have ironed out some of the rules problems, but not all of them. I am of the opinion that it is a very good procedural world generation system, which still has flaws in the procedural world generation department combined with a very clumsily executed rule set.
0: How does the procedural world generation work? And what's good about you it?
3: Take, you take a, a handful of dice of all different types and you drop them on a large sheet of paper and then you record the size and value of each die and then you look on a table to see what those all correspond to. And then you use that as the basis for the construction of the undercity beneath the area where the game takes place so you roll the dice and you get oh this okay this area is a cult stronghold and it's for, it's occupied by the bear cult or this area is a nest of morlocks or this area is an enclave of fairies etc and then you draw connections between them and then you build a rich vibrant ecology of dungeon inhabitants based on that and the strength is that there's lots of cool content to draw from The weakness is that the rules do not contain enough specific information about how to build the Undercity, so it takes a couple of tries before you get something interesting. One of the big flaws, for example, is that I ended up with a dungeon that had like eight bomb shelters in it, and bomb shelters are really fucking boring after the first one, so I actually went through the dungeon again after I realized this was a problem and took all the ones the players hadn't found yet and changed them to other fun stuff. Another flaw is that the game doesn't tell you which mix of dice you should use, because you're using dice, you're throwing a dice on the table, but it really does make a big difference because the die size determines what possible rooms you can get. And there's other, there's like other foibles like certain things are only accessible on a, a D 100. That is the the 10s place instead of the ones place, because there'll be like results like 70, 60, 50. And one of the flaws that we discovered, uh, I think Tom will probably assent to this because he was there last game is that the Maps, if you just go by the advice in the book, produce interesting areas separated by long stretches of really boring tunnels that find you rolling for uh, random encounters in a very tactically uninteresting situation, where your choices are either advance or retreat down a big long tube that lasts for kilometers.
4: Yeah, I saw what you mean last game, because I think we had two... Long featureless corridors where
3: it essentially took multiple hours to travel each one. Yeah, well, because the thing is, if you have if you have four random encounters in a big tube that you all you roll four random encounters, and they're in a big tube, they can go forward and backward. Whoever's the toughest is going to go through all the other four. So there's only one random encounter and the wreckage of three other ones. The procedural rules for creating the underworld also do not contain any detail for the surface world which has to be made up based on a few clues that the underworld provides, like where the entrances and exits are. And that has really come to life, I think, as the players have caused more trouble and activated more of the game's world as a response to their bad behavior.
4: It is pretty impressive how alive the overworld feels considering that most of that stuff seems to be just purely informed by where are we going down into the underworld where are we coming back up and who controls those zones that we're butting heads with
3: yeah so for context uh, the the underworld is, ex- is accessed through special buildings on the surface and those can be different buildings depending on what you it's supposed to be based on what you roll on the surface but i decided i wanted to use all of them so one entrance for example is a nightclub that is controlled by the mafia And the Mafia have a simple rule, you're free to use our entrance and exit as much as you like. We will protect you from exit campers who will try to kill you when you leave at other entrances, but you owe us 20% of anything you bring back up.
4: And that's not something to sneeze at because it sounds like in the first session that was a big problem was that everybody tried to leave through an exit controlled by a hostile faction and then the last Oh that wasn't
3: that wasn't just a problem in the first session. Yeah, that was a problem in the session you played.
4: Oh yeah, this one it was the same location, same
3: faction, and we ended up getting our first player death because of that. So or the player character death. Excuse yeah. Me. The the alternative exit that So basically the way the way that it it turned out is that the east side of the river is full of dungeon entrances and most of them are fairly innocuous. Like you can go in through the jazz club and pay a cut of your earnings you can go in through the other nightclub which is controlled by the red caps and go through the secret mosh pit in the basement and have a chance to run into someone who doesn't like you but most of the time be fine or you can go through the warehouse entrance which i don't think anyone has fucked with yet because it's been sufficiently signposted that it's not somewhere you want to go meanwhile on the west side all the entrances are like there's one that's in a necropolis like an old tomb complex but the tombs are patrolled by the descendants of the people buried there who don't like that all these piece of shit adventurers keep using their ancestral graves for criminal activities and then there's one that's in the disused wing of an old museum but it goes down into a uh secret grotto filled with fairies and trolls and ogres and other creatures who at this point are very pissed off at the adventurers for a number of reasons and are not about to let them go back through there again.
4: It is impressive how we've managed to, how we've managed to piss off basically everyone we've come across.
3: That's Except not true.
4: <laughs> yeah, we haven't pissed off the guys who like the fact that we're so bloodthirsty and fight everybody. They love us.
3: So the rules for this game are, are pretty clumsily put together, because there's someone's house rules to someone else's house rules to a game from like 30 years ago.
0: Does I Doesn't mean is it going to get a real it's been released i assume but is it going to get like a real set of rules or is this it
3: no never because uh as i understand that the author is a lady after my own heart that is to say someone who as soon as they release something instantly loses interest in working on it anymore
0: well that's too bad
3: it is because not only is there stuff like that's my personal criticism with the rules the book also has pretty deep usability problems uh stuff mm. will st- stuff will just reference like it'll say look on table 166 to find the treasure But table 166 is like legal reputation with the police. But here's the other problem. Why the fuck would you say look on table X and not like just... Look
2: on the next page?
3: Yeah, look on this page. Because the thing is my book isn't indexed by tables. It's indexed by pages. If I've got a physical book, I have to look at an index to find the table and you can just give me the page number and go faster. If I'm using a control F on a PDF, control F for it finds every other mention of that table in the book and then finally the table itself. And uh, here's another fun one. Um, If you're as long as we're talking about control effing, sometimes the British spellings are used and sometimes the American spellings are used for the same word. So sometimes mold is spelled with a U and sometimes it's just with an O, and that's a big deal because the gray mold is a monster that appears on multiple random encounter tables. Uh, usability problems aside, I think that mechanically the rules are not great because they are, like I said, three layers of house rules. They're not that difficult to streamline. I've kind of developed a, a codified body of of. My own, I guess my own fourth layer of modifications because rather than fix the problem, I've decided to make it worse to benefit myself, which is kind of shorthand for me. And uh, despite all of this, I, every session, find myself wanting to run another game of it. I find myself more excited about it than I am about Delta Green because it's new and different. I think that this will last until I run out of content because the game has a lot of stuff that's fun to explore. But I think once the fun exploring stuff is gone, it's going to be a bit less
0: exciting. So that's fair. Uh, I I wanted to say the about the um, world generation mechanics that I've I've definitely seen that method is adjusted for making a west marches area, and I've never actually tried it. So it's good to see that that you know throw a dice on the table has some value.
3: Yeah, it's fun because so far I've had I think about eight or nine different players and. The way the game works is that if I just give them a list of different jobs that the Undercity inhabitants are paying them for, they can just choose one that they want to do and then through the process of free exploration come across a bunch of other interesting stuff and then decide on things they're interested in pursuing further. And I guess right now we're we're kind of at a uh, difficult spot though because the last group is kind of in the middle of a job. They got back to the surface with... Uh, only one third of the way through what they were supposed to do. So next session, unless the group mutinies, they're gonna have to finish that operation. I think that if you are willing to put in serious effort to and maybe not even serious effort, moderate amount of effort, to fix serious usability problems and mechanics that are not very good, you will enjoy this game. I think that the the problem is that when I when I when I say like oh the setting's cool, the mechanics aren't great Like, you know, you're always thinking, well, maybe, you know, you can just use a different system. But one of the problems is that so much of it is tables that reference other tables that reference other tables that reference stat blocks. So taking all this and porting them to another game would not be an easy feat. For those of you who have been told that this game is like Unknown Armies by people such as myself, that's not actually true. It's only like Unknown Armies in the sense that it's gritty modern urban fantasy in the actual sense of what the game is like, what the gameplay is it could not be more different because unknown armies is like a a gritty um, personal horror story about rolling D one hundreds to see how traumatized you get by things. This is a game about rolling D twenties to see whether a shotgun shell takes someone's head off.
4: I think the game, the creator references a lot is like world of darkness and those games, which I can, it is much closer.
3: Yeah. So it's, it's closer to what world of darkness actually is than what world of darkness is supposed to be. Because you know how, you guys have all heard this, how, how World of Darkness is supposed to be like personal horror, but it's just um, vampires with katanas.
4: Yeah, blood-powered superheroes.
3: And this game is like, fuck it. Vampires with fucking katanas, dude. Sick. Yeah. So I've had a lot of fun with it. It is, I, I it's one of those things where I, I don't like recommending it because it feels like rewarding someone else for putting out an incomplete product that's, you know, has serious flaws. But I can't deny that I've really liked it and had a lot of fun. It is a similar case to uh, Will, your reaction to Mothership was I like everything about it except the game system. Yes. Except it's that this one it. is much more complete.
4: Okay. I'm having a lot of fun with my character, but I feel like a- after playing the last session, I'm sort of switching to the way you play Delta Green in my mindset because I have this really cool niche ability that I'm having fun thinking of how I'm going to play with in future sessions, but in terms of like actually defending myself, I'm pretty useless.
3: No, you have an axe that grants you like plus 6 to hit and does like d12 plus 3 plus d6 damage.
4: Which which I have because which I have out of pure blind luck that a bullet missed me and hit the guy who was our combat monster and took him down in one shot.
3: Yeah. So, uh for context, um so the story is that they've finally placed the first of the three center modules, they're putting in the in the dungeon for their uh, contact in the basically Majestic 12. They're, they've got kind of a whitey vulgar arrangement where they're doing illicit jobs for uh, the feds in order to um, get away with some stuff. So they place module number one. They slog back. They go through a lot of bullshit to get out of the dungeon, but they, they're on the west side, and all the west side dungeon entrances are pretty bullshit. They've got two choices. They can kind either of, go back through the fairy enclave where they're just pissed off everybody by shooting their way through a bunch of uh unseely knights and luring them into a fight with the bear cult and just making everyone's life miserable or they can go back out through the mausoleum and the mausoleum they actually just saw in the news had finally the police had finally like fucked off because the police had started patrolling it uh because they wanted to discourage the militia that uh posted up there from starting any more shootouts because in the first session, they started to shoot out with the players because the players used it as, a, as an exit from the dungeon. And so the group's like, this is our only choice. we got to go out through there. And so they go out through there, and they sneak past the death knight who's teaching his, his uh, descendants how to fence in the graveyard. They sneak past the mummified saint who's wandering around. Then they start climbing over the wall. And this is the part that I was talking about earlier where it really punishes people who don't have the good athletics because the people who are good at escaping escape and then two characters get stuck, and then they keep trying to get over the wall. The you know the the creatures realize something's up. They start converging, and then the rest of the group gets tar-pitted trying to figure out how to get them through because the plan they had was a good plan, but it relied on the roll of the dice, and so it got hung up. And so what ends up happening is Caldron, the uh, the highest level, and toughest character with the most badass weapon which is a magical axe that he sold five years of his life to a goblin in the fairy enclave to get uh is says i'm you know this climbing over the fence shit isn't working i'm just going to hack through it with my magic axe when i'm like you know that's completely reasonable hits it with the axe by this point the, the militia has been attracted to the sound of the violence that he's you know he's doing to this fence trying to get through and uh Tom is desperately engaged in a mace fight with a... Tom's character is is uh, Cobb the Doctor, who is very good at mad science, but not so good at physical stuff. And he's engaged in a mace fight with a mummified saint who is... Uh, can basically not damage him, but is out-healing all the damage he's dealing to her because she's a support caster, effectively. And so finally, one of the militia gets a lucky shot and just in a single... with a single round, blows Caldon's uh, head off, blows the The head of the guy who was hacking through the fence off and what's interesting here is that the game has uh you see this a lot in osr games now it has something called the death and dismemberment table which is where instead of dying instantly at zero hp you get like kind of mutilated or you have like a status condition that you have to dispose of or die instantly but the way that this game works is that instead of uh being like cumulative it's just look at the amount of damage you took from the attack that took you to zero and reference that on the table and he, and so if that means that if you're rolling like a D10 or a D12, you can just get killed instantly because if you roll an 11, the, the result of 11 is instant death. So it doesn't actually fulfill its function of protecting you from one shots. We're getting way, 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 way too down into this hole right yeah, now. Yeah, let's
2: let's let's pull back a little. But I don't.
3: Bit. But I don't, I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm not. I'm not gonna like you know make a groveling apology for being interested in mechanics here because I think this is this is uh, for like the six people who have played this game in the universe. This is you know uh, an exciting discourse. Uh, overall, this game produces some pretty cool results, dis- despite uh, its flaws. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this. I guess this is my um, executive summary. And then, Tom, you can give your summary. Uh, if you have ever, in response to someone dis- uh, finding a glaring flaw in a game that you liked, said, "Oh, you can just house rule that," or "Rulings, not rules." You'll be fine with this game.
4: Uh, what is my executive summary? I don't know. I'm having a lot of fun with it. I think it's it's the first real like dungeon crawl type game that I've played after starting off on Delta Green. Uh, I like the underworld. I think you've created something really interesting and fun and that feels really alive, even if there's some tinkering behind the scenes to prop it up that
3: way. Yeah. Any kind of like procedural generation thing is going to require human fine-tuning in order to make it seem not just pulled out of a hat. Anyway, that's my story time, and if, if throughout the rest of the group doesn't take very long, we can come back to me, but I would love to hear what someone else has been up to. Unless hey, you guys Kevin? got questions. Yeah, Kevin.
0: I haven't Jake? played a run much all the green recently, but I did finish the maps for Jack Frost, which I know Jake has oh. played in, so that should be coming out soon-ish, which is exciting. It's always fun. Oh, no,
1: I, I, I haven't played I it. I read it. the ancient HTML files of it. So.
0: I thought you played it. No. Well, never mind. So no, I always... read the
1: files from when it was in like Pyramid Online in like 1999. And then like I had, Sh- Shane had to send me like uh, an HTML file. And i like, I had to Google, like, how do you use these? Because honestly, I didn't know what the hell this file type was. Betraying my age there. Such a zoomer. <laughs> I'm millennial. If
4: you want to take the easy way out, I think he's got it on his
1: Patreon. Uh, the it's there right? now. but This was uh, like a couple months ago. I, I, was um, oh, go ahead.
4: I was just going to say, now I'm curious to see how different they are, how much editing's happened over 20 years.
1: Well, it's, um, it's a scenario where there's a lot of um, chance for failure in it. A, a lot of chances for failure because it's like uh, Majestic 12 is in the area, Blue Fly is in the area, and your agents are in the area, all trying to figure out what's happening at the same time. That's like the version from the 90s. I don't know... Um, if it's being updated to modern day or what?
4: From what I saw of the Patreon text, it looks like it's still a 90s scenario.
1: Oh yeah, because it just like a crash course on it on like what Majestic 12 is. That was the snippet that, or not what Majestic, what, uh, what Blue Fly was. Um, I haven't been playing a lot of Delta Green in this uh, quarantine-cation that everyone's having because uh, I'm still at work. So, But when I'm not at work, I've been playing some Animal Crossing with my wife and my friends, and it's been really relaxing and fun. Uh, earlier today, I spawned on my friend's island, and I had like a in-game doctor's mask. And like, I got off the plane, and you can like chat, like uh, text chat with people. And I said, "Guys, I don't feel so good." And it was like him and like a couple other friends, and they all came over to the the airport to see me. And I had the doctor's mask on, and they all started to run <laughs> away. <laughs> yeah, started to run away from me. <laughs> so I started chasing them.
0: I think the original Animal Crossing came out when I was in college. Um, and it was, so it was like just the right time where like every suite had several memory cards and several GameCubes with Animal Crossing going, uh, and everybody was really into it. But it was before, like, back then you had to go to this website called Game Facts and read these ridiculous text frequently asked questions people wrote for games. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they would you all have, like, just, big
3: ASCII logos of the game. Yeah,
0: yeah. You couldn't just, like, find some 10-year-old talking into a shitty mic about how to complete a puzzle. You had to, like, look it up in this long text.
3: Dude, dude, you could Control-F for that shit, though. You can't Control-F in a video.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, look, Game Facts had, had positives and negatives, but, you know. But that was just like if you knew if you figured something out, you became like a needed commodity around the campus because you'd know where like you know the rare butterfly spawned or what the next event was going to be like on the calendar or whatever.
3: Didn't Animal Crossing had like built-in uh, fraud detection system for when you tried to yeah,
0: use
1: yeah, the game's must, time? set? yeah. So, I mean, but... there's like a gopher that comes in and he scolds you.
3: <laughs> I had never played it. I had a. I mean, I played it. I had ever owned it. I had a friend who pl- who played it a lot. Or I don't know if he played it a lot, but he played it a significant amount. Um, you, uh, For those of you who do not know the premise of this game, in Animal Crossing, you are the only man or woman, what have you, in the world crossing into the world of animals. You arrive in a town and immediately become indentured to a raccoon who owns the only business in town. Damn.
0: Uh, that number
3: <laughs> the raccoon... Guides you through this nightmarish world of talking fire hydrants and mysterious puzzles. And you, through this experience, take the nightmarish world of c- talking creatures and forge it into your own image. That's my understanding of Animal Crossing because I'd never owned a single one of these games.
1: You're not wrong. Um... There was
3: also, if I remember correctly, a. Um, you could, like, gamble on turnips.
1: I think that might be uh, like a version of there that that might have been in like the original one or the. Oh one. yes, it Four was. Three, I yes. remember it was
3: in the first game because there was someone um, complaining that the game clock would only let you trade turnips on the Sunday, but uh, his parents would not let him play the game on Sunday because that was the Lord's Day.
0: <laughs> yep, huh. you could make a lot of money on the the old turnip market. You could really turn up a profit.
3: Yeah. Anyway, there's a new one out. Is what it is why we're talking about it. As I think the answer
1: yeah it's it's been pretty fun um the one of the more frustrating features about it is that it uses a like a real-time clock and whenever you upgrade your house you have to wait like an actual day in real (laughs) life. oh it's got like that facebook
4: bullshit in it
1: and uh because it's like always online game you can't i don't think you can spoof the game clock i'm not sure i haven't tried it yet
3: don't the villagers also get upset if you don't write them letters
1: um, I don't know. I haven't written any of them letters yet, so I don't know if they get upset. Yeah, oh, I it. mean, that
3: was, that was probably the old Animal Crossing. and people still did that.
0: You gotta t- talk to your folks. Be the friendly. focus of
1: this one is more about the online play element, like, uh, hopping on your friend's islands, uh, getting some good triangle trade going, because... That's dark. Yeah. No.
0: <laughs> <I was gonna laughs> like the wow. about sure, no, That, that was... Words. When no,
3: that, I said was, forge the world in your own to... image, I didn't mean forge the world in the image of someone who believes that the civil war was won by the wrong side.
0: Do you mean the war of northern aggression?
1: The the, the raccoons are only like three fifths of the population. It's the only for... Ramy crossing. Um, hey, nice. nice. Um, because, like, my island has pears native to it, and my friend's island has apples native to his. Oh,
3: it's, so it's so, it's like the old Pokemon games where to get all the Pokemon's you get to trade with people who have the other versions.
1: Yeah, and the Capitalist Raccoon pays more for things that aren't on my island for some reason. So, like, I can go it's over to scarcity. my... scarcity. Yeah. I'm trying to find... Yeah, there's also, like, a really robust crafting system in it where you find recipes for crafting things, and then... Um, you can gather the materials from the island you scavenge a bunch of stuff and you make things yourself um and i'm trying to find the diy recipe for the guillotine and also the mini guillotine because tom uh the raccoon's name is tom nook um uh, not not as uh, an aside to our beloved tom here who i would never ever consider running through a guillotine but um he has wait there's a guillotine in this game about being a I, I by the capital the landed uh, capitalist class yeah, that's the joke I'm going for, Will. Yeah, okay. And and the mini guillotines, because he's also roped his, uh, Tom Nook has roped his two sons, Timmy and Tommy, in on the Enterprise as well. So you're going for the whole royal family. Yes. <laughs> okay.
4: I mean, historically,
0: um, if you just murder the lead capitalists in front of their family, the rest of the family historically tends to fall in line.
1: That's right. Yeah. It's just like vampires. Um, you can find the DIY recipes, uh, some of them wash up in messages and bottles, and they're from villagers that you haven't met yet, and you hop on the airplane that's piloted by the dodo pilots, and you uh, go to these remote desert islands, and you can, like, tell people to come live on your island because your island is civilized, and theirs is just wild. Like, these people are out here with, like, a sleeping bag and a, and a lantern, and they're like, oh, this is a great vacation, and I'm like, no, no, just, just come back with me.
3: Wait, why?
1: Um, because I'm giving them like a better house and stuff, and like. Wait, so then do they owe you the no, money? No, 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 There's no, uh, there's no like pyramid scheme here.
0: Missed opportunity. Uh, Jay, yeah, I could. Played, have you played Stardew Valley?
1: Uh, yeah, my wife and I played Stardew Valley a lot. Um, Kevin, I'm surprised
3: you you pulled up. You picked Stardew Valley and not um Harvest Moon.
0: I mean, Harvest Moon is just an older Stardew Valley.
3: Hardu- but yeah, but but Harvest Moon is contemporaneous with the original Animal Crossing.
0: Yeah, but I mean, in terms of current games like that, is this more in-depth than Starter Valley? Less? Two different? Uh, What would you say?
1: Less? Um... Like, it's a lot less in depth. Um, it's more relaxing. You don't have to worry about, oh, you know, if I hurry and I make it to the strawberry festival uh, or the, the spring festival, I can get the strawberries and I can have the strawberries planted before the summer comes and I can maximize my. There's no like, uh, no need to like make a spreadsheet to like. Maximize- I mean, I
3: mean, I mean, th- this game has crippling debt, which is an accurate simulation of the life of most farmers. So I'd say that it's probably getting at the same thing the Stardew Valley does
1: um it's kind of like i said it's not that it's not that deep in this one um i'm sure that there are going to be people that go out and plot like uh what all they need to do to you know maximize you know if i plant x number of trees and they give me three fruits each like i said it is it's less in depth there's not that much like level of planning in it it's just it's just overall more relaxing but like there's some things that i've found kind of frustrating about it like i'm having to wait for like blathers who is the owl who runs like um he's like a archaeologist like a scientist owl um he studies bugs and fish and shit even though he hates bugs even but he's an owl i don't i don't understand the logic for that anyways blathers is opening a museum on the island and it's been under construction for like the past day and i'm just piling up the things for myself to turn into blathers and i'm just standing outside of his museum construction like blathers you raggedy ass bitch open up
3: blathers is an owl right yeah are any of your villagers like mice (laughs)
1: <laughs> no um one of mine is a cat and baby what's our other uh what's the other one we have it's a oh yeah it's a, it's a sheep that really likes bodybuilding he's
2: a swole sheep yeah
1: yeah it's all about gains and um i'm gonna try and craft him a workout something to use for workouts if i can find
0: one but you're really invested in this i gotta make sure my islanders are happy man yeah, you won't write them letters, which is just terrifying. Yeah, write them letters so you can teach them new words. Teach them new words. This <laughs> yeah, is like, like Animal Farm. Yeah, it, and you can like you can you can get the greetings changed, so you can really mess with if you're playing on the same island with someone, or or if you visit someone's island a lot. You can get them to call them things that are not appropriate. That was always a fun thing to do in the older Animal Crossings. You'd be like, Hey fucks, Nick, how are you? Like, Why <laughs> is the donkey okay. po- oh, so,
1: there's a there's a online like it's online play and like before you go to get online, it's like please please be in mind that like people don't want to listen to your filth. There's like a warning, and it's like, don't use bad words, please. Sure please do. don't use bad words. No,
3: so this this is this is a problem that Nintendo's had for a long time, which is that they want to cultivate like the family-friendly um aesthetic. And so for a long time, their answer to how to do that has just been like, don't let anyone have any real communication. Like, don't have voice chat, don't have text chat other than a few canned responses. And they're slowly loosening their grip, like with Mario Maker and stuff. And uh they're running into the same problem that the Lego MMO had, which is that they had to spend their entire budget moderating it to make sure that people weren't making like giant dicks and stuff.
0: I think this one is just
1: more self-policed because you can report like immediately. Yeah. So no,
3: no, not just, not just reporting. The way that you used to police stuff is by having dedicated servers You'd go on a server and if the server was fucked up you'd say, I'm not coming back here and you'd go to a server that you actually liked. But now that everything's done via via matchmaking, suddenly there's no solution other than to appeal to a higher authority to stop behavior that you dislike. By losing freedom of association, we've necessitated an environment where only uh, you know a, a, a basically a police state can solve the problems we have.
1: It's still um, it's still like censors words though because I went and I was sleeping on my friend's bed just as a joke and he comes in there and he calls me get, he says get your Goldilocks ass out of my bed but it like blurred yeah. it blurred ass out. But if
3: you put spaces between the letters,
1: oh, I don't know. We haven't tried that yet.
3: Well, now you have the game in your hand at the moment, so now it's time to figure it out. Do it live <laughs> on air.
2: So I kind of have a story. Haven't actually been doing a lot of gaming myself uh, in the last little while, but I have I have started running. The acclaimed Dungeons of Dragons module, The Curse of Strahd, for for my sister and her friends, uh, remotely over the interwebs, and I'm having I'm having a lot of fun with that. They're having a lot of fun with that. Uh, it's it's it is a module that has a lot of history and a lot of people have run it in various incarnations. Uh, so there's a lot of supplementary materials for it. There's a lot of discussion. There's a whole subreddit full of people just talking about cool things you can add to it or how to how to handle particularly difficult bits or There's all kinds of handouts. Uh, There's maps, maps of stuff. Um, Yeah, a lot lot of material to work with, which is nice, because I'm running it through Rule 20. And
0: yeah. I've been through it twice, well, partway through twice. Both times have fizzled because the module is difficult. Um, It is very difficult. Yeah, It's very difficult,
2: and it's very open-ended. Yeah.
0: I'd love it. It's kind of thing I feel like I'd I'd love to be part of a full playthrough, but I feel like it's not possible. So uh, good. Good luck. Yeah, I played through
2: it
1: myself as a player, and I I really enjoyed it. Oh, uh, over on the Black Project Gaming, well, Black Project Gaming is planning on running through um, like 1980s Barovia. I don't know what system. 1980s Barovia. Yeah, I don't know what system they're using as a base for it. But um, I'll ask Vince about it and see if I can get us. Maybe by the time this airs, there might be like a link for the first episode of it. I'll see about that. Um, That's interesting. Let me just type Ropesh.
0: The uh, last time uh, that I played through a party mega, I, I was playing a bard who was bringing black metal to Barovia. Uh, That's which amazing. Was, which was a lot, of, a lot of fun. Um, was he uh, Was he a rock gnome? No. The dwarf's pretty metal. I think, I, it. I think he was a human just because I wanted the extra feet. I mean, I get it, but it's not making me laugh. Yeah. And uh, I forget what else we had in it. We had a little bit of a conflict because we had two people who were, like, wanted to be really good about things. And I was like, you know, these people's lives suck. So, like, if we're going to overthrow, like, Strahd like, may be the best thing these people have. So we need to really consider this.
2: Yeah. One fun element of the Curse of Strad that people may not be aware of if you haven't played the module is um, the location of several plot-critical MacGuffins, for lack of a better word, is determined semi-randomly by a tarot card reading that the DM does uh, at close to the beginning of the game.
0: Yeah, that's fun. Yeah,
2: it's a lot of fun, um, especially if you have an actual deck to do it with. Um, I had a little virtual table set up on which to virtually draw the cards. Um, that was pretty pretty rad. That there there was a whole whole thing about it. They, very very immersive, and I, I did not plan this in advance, but um, the cards that I happened to draw were were they 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 were they were oddly fitting for the party, and I didn't realize that until one of the players pointed it out to me. So my sister's party consists of uh, a rogue, uh, a cleric, uh, a a warlock, and a ranger. And the four Taroka cards that were drawn for the four artifacts happened to be uh, the thief, the abjurer, the missionary, and the broken man, which is pretty good. That's pretty good. And I swear I didn't plan that in advance. And p- part of that is is playing up, you know, the the whole the deliberately vague nature of of uh fortune telling. And but I mean that's still it's <laughs> pretty good. Uh,
0: I think you may all recall when I ran um uh the the Brent saga, you know, the uh, Autar Sunrise and the other two. Oh yeah, the the start for um, the trilogy. Yeah. Yes, there we go. Um I had some people who got, like kind of mad about the tarot cards because that wasn't how they, how they, oh. like re- how they really work. So the same people. Like, oh, you mean the they don't like,
2: really suck you into Carcosa? Yeah.
0: Well, they were like, oh, but you know, the sword has all these meanings, and it sort of should have meant more. And I was like, I'm pretty sure it's because it was neat. You but uh, the,
2: it's it's the King of Swords. Yeah. He's killing himself. He's eating a sword.
0: Yeah. Um, it's a suicide booth. So yeah, so uh, there was the seven of the I did. Uh, they did Mountains of Madness with us, not Mountains of Madness. Uh, Jesus, Curse of Strahd. There we go. Um, so they had a lot of fun with that part. Uh,
3: I like that in the fifth edition world, they're called uh, the tarot cards. Are called what? Would you call them?
2: The, the, they're called the taroka.
3: Okay, because in in Pathfinder they're called harrow cards. Uh-huh. So it's the same the same like kind of gag, but in Pathfinder they're actually kind of cool because um, there's a class that uses them and. I mean, it's it's just like obviously a transparent attempt to sell merch. But the way it works is that if you're a summoner and you have the right class feature, you draw the cards as you summon the creature, and then it gives you like a bonus feature. Like that eagle is now a celestial eagle because you do this card and he gets this bonus. It's very fun, tactile way to make the thing slightly more interesting.
1: Like Five E has all those spell cards and stuff you can buy.
3: Dude, I finally found I found a cleric spell card like the week after. Because I was looking for it because it' are playing cleric in our fifth ed- fifth ed game of, um, was it Elemental Evil? I don't remember what it was. Anyway, uh,
2: Elemental Evil it's a classic. I remember,
3: but role. but uh, what happened was um, I was looking for the cleric spell cards and all the game Like, yeah, we can't keep them on shelf; people keep buying them out. I found them <laughs> like the week after the group broke up because the people whose house we played at got divorced.
1: Ooh. Ain't that just the way it is? Can we get an F in the chat? <laughs> Yeah, F's all around. I saw they got back with me. They're playing the nineteen eighties Barovia with uh, modified D and D five E, no magic in the beginning for PCs, but maybe they'll be able to learn some later. that's neat. One of the cool things I like. Go ahead. I
0: was gonna say one of the they could always port over the uh, ill-fated D twenty modern, which I used to love running, but man, was it? I also remember
2: being really interested in the idea of that when I was a lot younger which well, says it, all it needs to really
0: it had a bunch of it had a really good splat book that was all basically set pieces which is probably why i like yeah. set pieces so much <laughs> 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 that's, that's where that was the where it started something i really that really appeals to
2: me as a as a gm about curse of strahd is uh the 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 villain strahd Von Zarovich, the vampire count is um is not the sort of a lot of a lot of modules will have the villain will like appear once at the beginning and then you won't see him till like the very end because like otherwise he'd have no reason not to simply slaughter the the, the party whereas Strahd has his own I had not really motivations but he has his own his own preferences he has his own way of doing things he has reasons to appear and just mess with the party just a little bit just just like throw wolves at them or pretend to be somebody and they don't even realize he's spying on them or you know all all kinds of fun stuff he can do to just be a constant looming presence just just a little bit out of out of their field of view at all times Uh, i've spoken about how i like the delta green module music from a darkened room because it is essentially a toolkit with which the handler can pull out things and screw with the players and strahd is very much designed in an in a similar way.
0: I think we we knew when I played there, we knew that he was like watching us. And we would always we were a band, so we would always play at an inn to stay there for that session or whatever. I, like I think we, we thought he might be there, so I wanted to play a new song called Strahd's a Punk Bitch," but they wouldn't let me do it. <laughs> I was like, "Come on, he's not gonna fight us here. This guy wants like, I was like, this guy wants some sort of a you know chivalrous showdown with a bunch of drama. He's not just gonna fight us. He's gonna she- walk away." <laughs>
3: Opens with vampire punks. Fuck off!
0: Yeah, exactly.
3: That's a good story. I think that fifth edition has a lot of, I mean, a lot of, but several like actually pretty good campaigns because people are always complaining like, oh, it's fantasy superheroes. It's not hard enough. Whatever. There's no like old school, really brutal hex crawls, dungeon crawls, whatever. No, there's Curse of Strahd. Pretty brutal. (laughs) Elemental evil. Um, I've been told that uh, Tomb of Annihilation, the one where you go to Chult, is really good.
2: Kingdom of Annihilation is legendary. Like, if, if, if you guys think Artifact Zero is bullshit...
3: <laughs> I think that's what you gotta do, though, because I've always spoken admiringly of Pathfinder modules, even though I don't like the game, and it's a similar idea where if people have really bullshit, overpowered characters, you respond by having a lot of bullshit, overpowered challenges, and the idea is that they can actually overcome it, because they're they've got superpowers. In fact, that's the way that Gary always said the game was meant to be run. He said, I like it when the characters have bullshit you know, high ability scores and other things they shouldn't have because it means I can hit them harder.
0: Uh, my friend is playing through Shadow of the Demon Lord, and he sent me one of the. Like, those are, you can get random people that will follow you around, and the, the top two roles on the table I think are hilarious. One is a scary old woman who follows you around shouting coward every time you fail an attack roll. <laughs> <laughs> it's just amazing. And the, the other it's, one. It's me. Yeah, The other one is a piss boy or piss girl who sells your urine to interested buyers. What? Yeah. It's like wait a God. second. What is this? What? Shadow I, of the Demon Lord. On, on the one those... hand,
2: why would someone do that? on the other hand, who are these interested buyers?
3: What yeah. so Shadow of the Demon Lord, for those of you not aware, is um it's a retro clone, I don't remember not a retro clone. It's like a it's like a, a clone of some D edition, I don't remember which one it is, that uh it's it's like trying to do um it's almost like Warhammer Fantasy by way of D twenty.
2: Shadow of the Meme Lord.
3: And it does some stuff that I actually really appreciate. Like, it does ability score modifiers better than any official D&D edition I've ever seen. I think it's like DCC, or people call it a retro clone of 3.5, which is kind of a joke, but not one that I think anyone in this audience will appreciate. Once once again, let down by people not knowing the exact thing that I wanted them to know.
1: You know, that's it's supposed to be just like a really, really dark, really edgy version of uh, D&D, right? I don't think so, but I'll take your word for it. Well, I, I've seen uh, some of the other stuff that the guy works on, and it just seems kind of edgy. Which like guy uh is uh, What's What's his name? Robert Schroll? Is that who it is? I don't know, dude. Are you asking him? I don't know. Yeah, anyway, Tom, Tom, did you get a chance to tell us what you're doing? Yeah, Tom,
3: you, you're you entitled to the story.
4: Uh, I was going to do Esoteric Enterprises. That's really the most gaming I've done recently, so I'm going to call you- that like a joint one.
3: Do you have other stuff from there that that I uh, took away your chance to cover that you would like to go into?
4: Uh, no, I think we covered it pretty well, most of my thoughts.